Welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast, a podcast focused on optimizing health and performance through a low carb lifestyle. Every episode will bring you a step closer to living an amazing low carb life. Come join us for this exciting journey. And here is your low carb leader and host, Dan Perryman. Hello, and welcome to the Low Carb Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Perryman, and you have joined me for episode 52. On today's episode, we have Dr. Michelle Summers Cologne. Dr. Michelle is a physician, surgeon, health coach, yoga teacher, anatomy instructor, author, and overall health and wellness expert. Today, Dr. Michelle talks about the combination of holistic podiatry, Ayurvedic medicine, and yoga, and how she treats her clients and her patients. Before we get started, if you have been enjoying this podcast, please subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can check me out at thelowcarbleader.com, where there are links to social media sites, including Facebook. And if you have any feedback, email me at dan at thelowcarbleader.com. All right, on to the interview with Dr. Michelle. So, Dr. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, you're calling in from sunny California. Is it sunny right now? It is. Very sunny. Yeah, it's, I'm in Illinois. It's pretty hot here today. Yesterday, I think it was like 90 degrees, so summer's definitely here. Yep. All right, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You have a unique practice of podiatry that you don't really see too often, so kind of take us through your background, your education, and how you came to practice what you practice. Sure. Well, I am call myself a holistic podiatrist because that's what uh, my practice has morphed into over the years. And this month is actually my 20-year anniversary in private practice. So um, it's pretty exciting. So I went to medical school, did the traditional four years of college, four years of medical school, decided um, early on that I wanted to go into podiatry. I wanted to have a certain lifestyle where it was more of a nine-to-five type of setting. And I knew I wanted to be a mom and Podiatry just really fit into that, as, as well as allowing me to be a surgeon and, and do all the other medical things that MDs can do, but limited to the foot and ankle. So I started my practice, been there for several years when I started having my own health issues come up as I got into my 30s. I was, I was having a lot of GI issues and some sciatica, and I went the traditional route myself of trying to go to the right specialists and get healthier and feel better and nothing was really working. They were pretty much telling me that I was going to need to take all these medications or have surgery to get better. And I didn't really like those two options. So I started looking into different types of holistic medicine. And that's when I really found yoga and Ayurveda. And that's what I used to get healthier. So the yoga really helped me with my back pain. I really don't have any sciatica or any back pain anymore. It's really rare for me to have any kind of back pain. And the Ayurveda really helped me with my GI issues, my migraines that I was having. And so I pretty much use food and herbs to treat any ailments that I have now. I know that there's certain foods that will make me feel better, certain foods that will really upset my system. So I really loved how I could use something as simple as foods to feel better. So I decided that this is something I need to look further into, got some more education in this field. And started incorporating that into my practice because the other thing I was noticing while I was going through my issues was I had a lot of patients, diabetics and obese patients and 
patients with different uh, medical issues other than just pain in their feet that were coming to me on a regular basis for treatments of their symptoms and not really getting better as a whole. So they were coming in over and over for the same thing. They would get better and the same thing would happen again. So I decided that, you know, this is really worth me using in my practice with them as well. So I started incorporating it into my practice and that's pretty much where I'm at now where I combine the Eastern medicine with the Western medicine to give the patients more holistic um, choices for their treatment. Oh yeah, that's great. So let's kind of break this down. So I think everybody's familiar with podiatrists, but so when a patient presents to you as a podiatrist in the conventional sense, if you weren't doing the holistic, what would that typically look like? So you show up to the podiatrist's office and kind of walk us through the conventional medicine approach, because I want to uh, contrast that to your approach. Sure. So what would happen once they come in, they fill out their health questionnaire, which pretty much asks them about all their medical history, all their medications, what types of issues they're coming in for. And then once they finish with that, then I take a look at their chart and I approach it or I would approach it from the podiatry aspect, asking them to go over, you know, what it is that they're here for, give me all their, all the nature of their condition. So when someone comes in saying they're in pain, that pain to a patient could mean, you know, a hundred different things to us. So we have to figure out exactly what type of pain it is. Is it sharp? Is it throbbing? All those kinds of words and find out when are they having the pain? Is it every day? Is it at night only? Um, is it associated with any other medical conditions? So we have to look at that and then figure out what they've already tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, have they had treatments by any other doctors or any other podiatrists? And then from there, we pretty much tell them what their choices are for different types of exams, x-rays, MRIs, lab tests, things like that. Believe it or not, some patients don't want to do certain tests. So, you know, you even though we think that all these tests are in order, if, if they don't want to do them, we can't force them to do them. So let them know what their choices are on the exams and then give them their choices on their treatments. I would think in this day and age with the obesity, you probably see a lot of diabetic issues then, right? We do. And I'm also in an area that has a high diabetic population. So I probably see even a higher percentage than a typical podiatrist. And why I like your approach so much that we'll get to in a second is because I think when somebody hears the word podiatry, they think, oh, they have a foot issue. But this can be much more of a body system issue than with the diabetics, correct? Yeah. And it's funny because not only the diabetics, but there are a lot of other medical conditions that patients have that either first present in their feet or Maybe they've had other symptoms, but it didn't really bother them that much. But now that it's in their feet, it's really noticeable. For example, swelling, different types of pains that they get in their feet. And then, of course, the diabetic problems that you can see in the feet, like numbness and wounds and open sores and infections and things like that. So sometimes patients come to us and they don't even know that they've had that they have certain metabolic problems or um, systemic problems. And then once we see the swelling and all these different things I mentioned, we can tell them, you know what, I need, I think you need to be evaluated for this. And these are the tests that your medical doctor should run. Before you get into your approach, just talk a little bit about your background in yoga and what level you're at and how you got into that. And then people hear the word Ayurvedic medicine a lot, but kind of explain that. And then we can talk about how you incorporate all that into your practice. 
Yeah. So I started doing yoga about almost 10 years ago, maybe nine, nine or eight years ago. Um, because one of my friends was a manager of a yoga studio and she'd been asking me to come for a couple of years. And I finally went, um, and I told her the reason I held off for a while is because I was having a lot of back pain and I thought the yoga certain positions might make it worse. And, um, little did I know that a lot of the yoga positions will actually help you with your back because they help you strengthen certain muscles and help you with your core strength. And when you strengthen your core, you obviously you strengthen your back, which most people know that. So I started going with her urging and I really loved it. I started really liking it and getting into it. And when I saw that my back pain had virtually gone away just from doing the yoga um, and I felt stronger, I started adding weight therapy, which I was able to alternate certain days doing yoga, certain days doing weights. And then I was feeling really, really strong and really, really healthy. And that's when I decided that, hey, if I can get rid of my sciatica doing yoga, and a lot of my patients do come to me for sciatica because they have pain radiating down to their foot, but really it's coming from their back. I said, you know what, I can start using this with my patients. And so I started studying it and I decided that for me to fully understand everything I I needed to, to work with patients, I needed to get certified. So I took a yoga teacher training and this, this was about four years ago. And I got certified in Hatha Yoga and Ashtanga Yoga, which are two of the very common forms of yoga. And after that, I decided to go a little bit further with the education. That's a two-hour, 200-hour program, which is a typical teacher training program. And I ended up going for an additional 100 hours so that I can get additional training in restorative yoga, which all really deals with healing and rest- restoration of different symptoms and different body issues different pains and yin yoga, which is another type of yoga, which for people that don't know, most of the positions are seated or lying down. And so it's really stretching. You hold your poses for long periods of time, like five minutes. So you're really stretching muscles and tissues that don't really get this nice stretch. So it's also another very healing type of yoga. So that was my, um, my background with the yoga and with the Ayurveda, it kind of goes hand in hand with yoga. So yoga and Ayurveda both came from India, you know, thousands of years ago, about 5,000 years ago, it's documented. Ayurveda is the oldest form of medicine that's still practiced today that's been documented. And in, in India, of course, it's the main, one of the main forms of medicine. But here in the U.S., it's also practiced by certain practitioners, and there's a couple of Ayurvedic schools. So I'm associated with the California School up in Northern California. And really what it's about is bringing everything back into balance. That's if you had to sum it up in one short sentence. And so what Ayurveda does is it looks at all your different symptoms and all your different systems and everything you're doing in your lifestyle from sleep to eating habits to exercise. And it looks at all of the things that are going wrong with you and all of the things that you're doing in your daily life and kind of puts together a plan for each person on an individual level to say, okay, for you to get back into balance, meaning feeling good and healthy. Um, these are the things that need to change. For some people, it might be you just need to change your sleep habits and you're going to start feeling better. For other people, a lot of people, it's their eating habits and what they're eating and what time of day they're eating and um, how they're eating, meaning like not eating on the go, sitting down and having a, you know, a couple minutes of quiet before you're eating to kind of settle your stomach, things like that. So Ayurveda looks at a lot of different things, but for each individual person, it might only be like certain things that you need to do. Oh, yeah. So you got a very extensive background. That's pretty cool. Patient presents to you. I got all kinds of questions because 
podiatry and medicine, you know, working in hospitals, I see what type of patients podiatrists see, and typically they're they're experiencing major problems by the time they get to you. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of patients want that magic pill, right? You give them the pill, yeah. you, you fix them, right? How accepting are they of this alternative type of approach? If you could give us an example, a patient comes to you, how do you incorporate this different, I, I guess we'll call it the alternative uh, medicine. How do you incorporate that with your patients? And then how accepting are they of this? Well, so far what I've found is they're very accepting because I don't really separate it out and say, okay, now I'm going to do alternative medicine with you. You know, From the minute they walk in and I start talking to them on a one-on-one basis, and people will open up to you a lot when you're with them one-on-one. So, you know, it's just me and them in the room. Sometimes my assistant is there. But when I start asking them, you know, the deeper questions um, after I ask them the initial questions of why they're there and what are their, what's their history and what kind of medications are they taking, and then I start, you know, looking at what's going on with them, and you can kind of do a body assessment by just a quick, you know, scan of them and their feet. And I could see certain things that need to be addressed right away, but I go into it with the questions first and I start asking them, okay, so what do you eat on a daily basis? And, you know, what are your blood sugars running? Because they might say, oh, I'm, my, my diabetes is controlled by medication. But then when I really ask them, okay, what was the last three blood sugars you took this week? Some of them aren't even checking their blood sugars. So, you know, we'll check it for them in the office, but really getting into the, the questions And they could tell that at that point, you really care. And a lot of them will tell you, you know, I've never spent this much time talking to my primary care doctor and I've had him for 10 years, like in the first visit. Um, So just really sitting down with them, making them feel comfortable. um, They start, you know, getting that trust factor going right away and getting into the questions of all the things that they're doing on a daily basis. They don't really necessarily know that um, all of these questions are going to tie together into their treatment and into an Ayurvedic uh, assessment. But they do know that I care and that um, I'm going to help them. And they trust me. And so they've been very accepting. Do you have a lot of experience with patients accepting your recommendations, following the lifestyle that you promote, and then reversing their diseases? Yeah, that's what we've been working on, um, really trying to work on helping people reverse their diabetes and their other conditions. And we do have a lot of acceptance and the patients, a lot of them are trying really hard to follow the recommendations. Um, I know that with diabetes, it has a general overtone of having non-compliant patients. So the diabetic patients might take a little bit longer to get them to start incorporating some of the changes than, say, an athlete that's coming in and maybe... Um, you know, they have uh, a different motivation for getting better because they want to go back to running. And um, just taking a pain pill isn't really going to help them. You know, they might need to change certain things. So for someone like, let's say, an athlete that's injured or in pain versus a diabetic that's in pain, um, the treatment might go a lot quicker for the athlete than, I mean, the relief of symptoms might go a lot quicker for the athlete than the diabetic patient. There's a little bit more education I have to do with the diabetic patients and a lot more explaining of um, why they need to do it. And a lot of times, you know, the first couple of visits there, they tell me, you know, I couldn't do it. And so we have to rework it and make it easier for them. And so really doing a lot of baby steps with them is what I found works the best. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Do you take a incremental approach to it? 
I know because you spend, you know, 30, 40, 50 years living a unhealthy lifestyle. It, you just can't switch everything overnight. It takes a while, right? Yeah, it does. It takes a while. And even with the health coaching, when, you know, I work with clients on that in that way, even in that aspect, we have to do things very, very slowly and very much of a baby step type of process. For example, we might only work on sleep for this week or for this, you know, visit. And we can't do sleep and food and exercise, you know, all at once. If we try to change too many things at once, it's going to be too hard. And then people feel like they're failing and then they give up. So we have to really sometimes just look at one aspect at a time, maybe the one that's the most important in their case, the most critical for them, and then move on to the next one once they've kind of mastered that one. So for the athletes, what are the, yeah. what are the major issues you see with athletes? Like, do, do they not stretch enough? Do they not eat right? What do you typically see? Well, you know, there's, there's really two type of athletes too. Um, you know, the weekend athlete and then the, you know, train trained athlete that's like been an athlete for forever. And, um, what we see with them might be two different things, but we see overtraining is one thing. They're just not giving their body a chance to rest in between training sessions or between workouts. So we have to really sometimes go over what's their training schedule, how many miles a week are they running, how much how many days are they giving their feet a rest? Um, maybe on their rest days from their feet, they can do something else like a rowing machine or, you know, weights or something. So that's one thing with athletes is they tend to overdo it. So they get a lot of overuse issues, um, stress fractures and, you know, muscle strains and tears and things like that. For the other type of athletes, the weekend athletes, yeah, they're not stretching enough. They're not, um, Maybe a lot of times they're not wearing the right type of gear. So if you're not wearing the right type of shoes for certain activities, you can actually cause yourself an injury. So a lot of times people, you know, think that buying the most expensive shoes is going to be the right thing for them, but they're not really looking at, okay, well, if I'm playing tennis, I shouldn't be wearing a running shoe because, you know, the traction on the bottom and the shape of the bottom isn't right for those side to side movements, stuff like that. So, um, those are some of the main issues we see with athletes. Yeah, I think on the weekend athletes, you you always remember how you performed in high school, and then you go <laughs> you go out for the weekend because you know I have friends who say, "Oh, I got a an annual basketball game," and then I'll see them the yeah. following week and they can't even move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So for those type of people, you know, stretching it's it's no fun. But you know, I, I recently started uh, back in yoga, kind of not really back in yoga, but started doing more yoga and. You know, I've had a sciatic and shoulder issues and just seriously within a couple classes, it's like a dramatic change because you you stretch in a way that you don't typically stretch at home if you stretch at all at home. Yeah, I'm like yeah. this I'm like this big yoga advocate now cuz it's just what I've seen it do in my body just in a short time is really helpful. Yeah, yoga is great for runners and for really hardcore cardio workout type of people because for one thing, it's not something they would normally do. Like they wouldn't just say, oh yeah, I feel like doing yoga today. You know, it's not their type of personality, um, the activity for that type of personality, but it's the perfect thing for them to balance out their hard cardio workouts or their running. Because like you said, it's going to stretch things that you're not stretching in your normal stretches or in your, in your workouts. So it's like the perfect combination when you have someone that works out really hard in a cardio manner. Yeah. And then it gives them a chance to actually focus on their breathing, which they probably never do either. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Okay. So then, uh, so you got that kind of athlete and then, um, so what about the diabetics? So 
you know, the disclaimer is you always need to work with your physician before you change stuff. But what are, what are some key things that somebody who is maybe pre-diabetic or type two diabetic can do to uh, start making themselves a little healthier? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of it is going to come down to the food with the diabetics. And what I found, even for patients that have been diabetic for years and they've been seeing prim- their primary care doctor for their you know, diabetic prescriptions for so many years, they come in and I ask them, okay, what, you know, because their blood sugar's off the chart and they've been taking their medication every day. They tell me, you know, I take it every day and their blood sugar's still way off the chart. And so when I talk to them about their typical meals and what did they have today for breakfast, it's amazing to me that they still don't understand the concept of eating right for their, for having diabetes. And so they tell me things like, well, I don't put sugar in my coffee anymore. And I'm like, okay, that's a good, you know, first step. So what are you eating? And then they tell me, you know, I'm eating oatmeal and, um, and oatmeal is not a bad food, but it's not a good food for a diabetic, even though it's you know, proclaimed to be like this great food, but it's not great for them because it shoots their blood sugar way up and they'd be way better having like a vegetable omelet, you know, with then having a big bowl of oatmeal. So they're having things like oatmeal and toast. They'll say, but I don't put jelly on like, yeah, but you're eating all this bread, you know, or they're eating three tortillas with their eggs in the morning. And so a lot of times they just hear the word sugar and they think of just white granulated sugar as the bad thing. And so they think if they're not eating sugar, they're eating good. And I have to do a complete rehaul on their education on what it means to eat right with diabetes, because you can't eat all these other types of carbs and think that you're eating properly if you have diabetes. So that's the very first thing we have to do is really get the whole food issue nailed down because they think they're doing a great job. And I know that they're trying in that way, but then they haven't been educated properly. I I stay low carb ketogenic most of the time. And, but I, I do experiment with different types of carbs to see what it does to my, my blood sugar. And if I had a cheat meal, my, my idea of a cheat meal is eat sushi or something like that. And you know, my blood sugar stays around 70 or 80 because I, I just, I fast and I do all that. But I realized that sushi, just having, just having white rice is like, puts me almost diabetic. It's like an hour after eating, it was like 180. So I have taken rice out and I never knew that because, I mean, I realized that sugar, bread, it all converts to sugar, uh, but there's certain foods that affect individuals differently. So I think people need to realize that what you think is happening may not actually be happening in your body unless you're measuring it somehow. Yeah. And I was just reading an interesting article where there was a study where someone had eaten sushi and then checked their blood sugar and then eaten a chocolate chip cookie and checked their blood sugar. And their blood sugar actually went up higher with the sushi than with the chocolate chip cookie. And so that doesn't surprise me that, you know, when you eat sushi, your blood sugar shoots way up because like you said, in some people, it, it affects them like that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a graph out there that shows the different types of bread. I can't remember, but just the, you know, sugar equivalent of eating a piece of white bread as opposed to like, you know, eating eating table sugar. So sugar itself, though, since we're talking about sugar, can you have sodas and processed sugar and added sugar in your diet? At all. I, I would say if you're diabetic, absolutely not. But what do you think about the occasional 
Dairy Queen Sunday or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the occasional um, the occasional sugar treat, the occasional dessert is not a problem for most people. Like you said, if you don't have diabetes, um, and you know, I know sugar is a lot is in the news a lot with you know sugar addiction and all of this stuff right now. Um, but looking at it from an Ayurvedic perspective, there's what's called the six tastes. So like salty, sour, sweet, bitter, astringent. Um, so there's these six tastes that in Ayurveda, it's believed that if you have all these six tastes in your meals, then you don't crave things like sugar or salty snack. And so like, if you ever go to an Indian restaurant, sometimes you'll see they have like the sweet chutney on the side that you can put onto your meal. Um, and these different condiments that are, that hit all six of these tastes. And so if you have just a little bit of sweetness in your meal, and it could be from fruit or it could be from um, honey or some type of um, condiment like a chutney, then that satisfies that sweet craving that is normal to have. And then you don't crave like the quote unquote bad sugars, like really sugary desserts and things after your meals. So there is something to be said for when people say they're they're craving sweets. Um, I think that is a real thing. But you just have to realize, you know, what you're eating and not eat like the worst of all the choices and, and try to eat something that is still healthy. So, you know, like maybe, um, like I said, a piece of fruit or you're having tea with your meal, you can put a little bit of honey in there or something like that. So that, that sweet taste is satisfied in your body and you're not craving the other things later. From a Ayurvedic standpoint, what are some key foods you should be eating all the time? Or drinking, because you mentioned tea, but are there certain spices or foods that everybody should be incorporating into their diet? Yeah, well, one of the principles of Ayurveda would be to not snack between meals. And so what what is recommended to do between meals is to sip on hot water. So hot water or warm or anything between room, room temperature to hot. Um, and, and, you know, it's summertime and people like drinking ice cold water. But, you know, I think there's been plenty of studies that show that ice cold water isn't the best for your body. It's better to drink room temperature water. So a lot of people do that already. But if you can drink warm water and sip it throughout the day between your meals, that actually helps curb a lot of the, the cravings that we think are food cravings. Because a lot of times when we think we're hungry, we're actually thirsty. And I think we all know that people aren't drinking enough water. That's why everyone's saying, drink eight to 10 glasses of water a day, because we're not drinking enough water as a whole society. So drinking warm water between meals and things that you can put in the warm water would be lemon, um, ginger. You can even put, um, you know, different pieces of fruit, like cut up fruit in the pitcher of water and things like that to give it a little bit of flavor. If you get bored with the taste of water, some people say, I'm tired of water, you know, but just put a little bit of fruit in it and it'll give it a little bit of flavor. So drinking things like that between meals is really recommended in Ayurveda. But some of the other things that um, that are used in Ayurveda commonly are different spices because the different spices can also satisfy those six different tastes. So there's certain spices that will satisfy the taste of sweet without adding any type of sugar or honey to your your to your diet. So you know, looking up spices that have the sweet um, taste in it would be a great thing to do for people that are trying to avoid sugar but still want to satisfy that sweet craving. Yeah, those are great tips. So from a nutrition perspective, what do you recommend to your clients? Just eat a kind of a whole whole food, 
no processed food, kind of, as we say, stay in the the outside aisle of the supermarket mm-hmm. and incorporate spices and teas into your diet? Is that kind of what you recommend or is there a different approach? Yeah. For an overall recommendation, if I were, you know, giving like a, a class or something on it. Yeah, definitely. All those things you mentioned, staying with, you know, local produce, trying to eat locally is a big thing in Ayurveda, like staying in your local ecosystem. So eating from like farmer's markets or market local markets that source their food from local farmers. Um, that's a really big thing because one thing with Ayurveda is when you're, when you're getting foods that are shipped in from all these faraway lands, you're not really doing your digestive system a good service. It's, it's having to digest all these foods that it's not really ready for. So, so that's a, a big thing, trying to eat locally sourced food, trying to eat whole foods as much as you can without the processed foods. Um, so staying on the outside of the aisles, a lot of vegetables, fruits, fruits are great. I know a lot of people say they try not to eat fruits because it has a lot of sugar, but there's a lot of things in fruits that are really good for us. There's a lot of antioxidant properties and a lot of nutrients and vitamins that we need that fruits have. So people actually, if they ate more, a more varied diet, they wouldn't have to take so many supplements. So that's one thing that I try to get people to do is eat, try to get as much of their nutrition from their fruits and vegetables as they can so that they're not relying so much on supplements. Yeah, I've been focusing just on incorporating different colors. That seems to work for me where green vegetables and then like with peppers, try to get red peppers. And so the more colors I can have, the better. And typically when I eat fruit, I focus on berries like blueberries and strawberries and stuff. But yeah, I was kind of always against, well, I shouldn't have fruit. But the more I read, um, I mean, you can't go overboard and eat a pineapple all day long or something, but (laughs) you know, or mangoes, all the good tasting stuff, really sugary, but you know, putting a putting a small uh, portion of berries at night, or you know, limit limiting them, but incorporating them because the more I read, they have so many qualities that you need in food. Yeah, and like you said, the brighter the color, the more good properties that fruit has. So berries are a great example. They have so many healing properties, cancer fighting properties, antioxidants. So those are a really great source of fruit. If you're going to just limit yourself to a couple different fruits, I would say berries are one of the really great ones to eat. But to highlight your point that a strawberry that comes from wherever across the country or across the world that is painted red probably isn't the same thing that we're talking about where you're getting strawberries in season locally. Right. All right. So um, you not only have a practice, a physical practice of podiatry, but you also offer health coaching, and you also have a podcast. And so let's talk about that real quick. So what type of coaching do you do? Do you do it virtually um, or in person or both? Or how does that work? Yeah, I do it both. I do it in person. I have local classes. And sometimes um, clients come to see me one-on-one in my practice for health coaching. And I have my medical practice, like we talked about. Um, I'm there three to four days a week. And the days that I'm not there, I'm doing the coaching. I also do it online um, over the phone, and I do group classes over the phone as well as one-on-ones, and um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Oh, and the podcast, though. I knew there was one more thing. I started the podcast in August, so it's getting up there almost a year. I'm really looking forward to that one-year mark, 
And as you know, from doing your podcast, it's so fun because you get to meet so many different people and, and talk about health and wellness from so many different angles that maybe you would have never, you know, had a chance to talk about certain things with, unless you really got to meet these other specialists. Oh yeah. It's, it's a way that doors are open to specialists that you would never be able to get into otherwise without a podcast. Uh, cause mm -hmm. you know, people just don't answer the, the phone, but when you have a podcast, they're like, yeah, that, that's good. But I've interviewed a lot of great guests and I've learned so much from them. And I think I'm coming up to a year here in the fall. So I know, and, and I have friends that are like, oh, I want to do a podcast. And I'm like, well, it's, it's a little more work than what you think, <laughs> <laughs> but it is fun. Yeah. yeah it's, it's probably the uh, most favorite part of my day for sure. So Dr. Michelle, so how can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you, learn more? And I, you have a 10 week coaching program. So how do they connect with you? Yeah, they can find me on my website, which is drmichelle.com. And it's Michelle with one L. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter as Dr. Michelle. So I think it's, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. Awesome. Are there any final uh, comments you want to make before we go? Oh, I just want to say thank you for having me on the show and giving me a chance to spread the word of Ayurveda because it's just really, I mean, I don't want to say it saved my life because I wasn't at a life and death situation, but it really saved my health. Um, and I just think it's one of those old secrets that's, you know, getting a resurgence in this world. And I really love sharing the message. So wanted to thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for being on the show. And I think what you're offering is uh, very unique uh, because you can combine both the conventional medicine with uh, this different approach, which the outcomes I'm, I'm sure are much, much better than just one approach or the other. So thank you for what you're doing and uh, congratulations on almost getting to a year. I know that's a big, uh, that's a big mark for podcasters, right? So congratulations yeah. on that. And um, I hope people connect with you, especially if you're needing Dr. Michelle's services, it's drmichelle.com with one L. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you too. Thank you for being with us today, and we hope that you are on the road to your successful low-carb lifestyle. Become a leader in your health and a leader in life. Check us out at www.thelowcarbleader.com. And remember to join Dan again next time on the Low Carb Leader Podcast.